The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, would you open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're wrapping up what has been a five-part sermon series entitled DNA, and it comprises what is essentially our membership at Christ Church. We don't have a formal membership process. There's nowhere to sign. Uh, we don't do covenants. And maybe I don't know where you came, where your church background is. There's lots of different ways of doing this. Um, but if you consider yourself a part of the Christ Church family and you're engaged as a regular attender and you're serving on a team, if you're using your gifts and if you're committed to supporting Christ Church financially, that's a way to be a member. But we've been talking about what we are trying to be as a church, what we believe uh, is the most important stuff from God's word and how that shapes who we are as a church and then how we get those things done. And so uh, we use this illustration of DNA because uh, DNA has four basic proteins and four basic building blocks to kind of make up DNA. And uh, our, our DNA is four simple parts. And so we've been covering those. And this morning, we're gonna hit the last of those four. The first week, we just kind of told the Christchurch story, how we ended up here and what are our kind of guiding principles and values. And then we looked at these four components uh, of our DNA. The first of which is our center It's on the sign. It says, joined with Jesus. We believe that the central, predominant, and unifying theme of the whole Bible is the believer's union with Christ. This this book is about Jesus. It's not about us. Do you know that? Uh, We play a supporting role in this drama, but this is about Jesus. But everything we can understand and grow and learn from from the scriptures has to do with our connection to Jesus through faith, the believer's union with Christ. It's the center of everything that we do. It's our interpretive key to understand the scriptures and it's what keeps us centered and doesn't get us off base. And so we are joined with Jesus. Our essence though, what are we trying to be as a church is is empowered missional community. This flows right out of the, the scripture's clear teaching about Jesus and that through faith in him, we're altered at the level of identity, purpose, and relationship. When you come to put your faith in Jesus, he makes you into a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, identity. And then he commissions us and makes us a part of his kingdom and his body and his church. He gives us uniquely for purpose and every single one of us has a unique purpose. And then he, he, tra- he radically transforms the nature of our relationships. And so identity, purpose, relationship. And he's doing this amazing thing in this age called the church. And the church is the empowered those new identity people who have the spirit of God within them, missional, who are sent by God and commissioned to use their unique gifts and their relational circles to bring good news of great joy for all people, community who are doing this together and seeking to demonstrate the oneness that Jesus died to put the whole new humanity back together, empowered missional community. So that's our center and our essence. And then our purpose, our mission statement, we looked at last week that Christ Church exists to be and become disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. We talked about being all in as a follower of Jesus, a learner and a doer, that sometimes that's a slow process because we got a lot to change and uh, it happens slowly. And so we're in this process of becoming. And then as we are in that process, we are seeking to bring this good news to all people and invite them uh, to follow after Jesus with us. And so we're making disciples of Jesus. And so the last section, the last part of this series is our strategy. How are we going to get that done? And that is not on a t-shirt or on a sign on the wall, but we say it simply around here, mobilize every member. Can we say that together? Mobilize every member. I've had this conversation with pastors and they'll talk about what is your strategy to impact your community for the gospel? And I'll say, they are, they're my strategy. 
all those spirit-empowered people that God has drawn into a life-giving relationship, filled with his spirit and given gifts, uh, as we mobilize, we will fulfill God's purpose to transform our communities, one life at a time, one family at a time. And I believe uh, we could initiate a, a revival if the spirit of God is willing in our generation to see massive transformation. I would love to be a part of the next great awakening. Can I get amen? So this morning, we're going to look into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 11, as we consider that we're called to mobilize every member. Here's, here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Do you see the juxtaposition between variety and same? So the one God is doing something in a variety of different ways, a variety of gifts, variety of service, variety of activities, but it's the same God and he is the source empowering them in everyone. Verse seven is key. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And so everybody gets, gets a gift. This is where the Holy Spirit uh, has inspired Oprah. You get a gift and you get a gift and you get a gift and you get a gift. Everybody gets a gift because God is doing a move in the world and he's doing it through empowered and called people to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And then verses eight to 11 explain what that looks like. For to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. So we get a little bit more of that variety explained, empowered by the same spirit. But there's something that happens in the original language here that gets flattened out in English. And this happens occasionally. And that's why I like to draw attention to it when it does. But in the original language, which is called Koine Greek, the word that's translated English as other is actually two words, alas and heteros. And they both mean other, but alas means uh, another of the same kind. And heteros means another of a different kind. So you guys are familiar with the hetero or heteros as a prefix in English, which means the same, but different. Men and women created equal in God's image, equal in dignity and value, the same, but different, right? And so heteros. And alas is the same, the same. So if, you, if you're eating a piece of fruit in my house and you're having an apple and you finish your apple and I say, would you like another? And I use alas, that means another apple. Maybe if I'm out of apples, I'll say, would you like heteros, another piece of fruit? Here's an orange, the same, but different. Do you see how that works here? And so this idea is harnessed and builds up the diversity of gifts and the complementary and interdependent reality of how the church is supposed to function. And you miss that if it's all just another, 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 another. So, for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, a spiritual gift, and to another, alas, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. So these are two gifts that are similar, utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge. To another, heteros, a different kind of gift, faith, by the same spirit to another, alas, kind of like faith, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, alas, working of miracles and to another, alas, prophecy. To another, alas, the ability to distinguish between spirits, this little group of similar gifts. And then to another, heteros, various kinds of tongues and to another, alas, the interpretation of tongues. And so we have these little groupings of gifts that are different and the same, but they come from the same spirit and they function differently in the life of the church. And you can understand them. Some of them are more similar than others, but verse 11, all these are 
empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so we have a very actively engaged, purposeful God who by his Holy Spirit is giving gifts to men and women who are in the kingdom. And those gifts are purposefully apportioned. They they cover a variety of functions in the life of the church. Some of them are similar, others are different. They are all meant to complement the mission and they are all meant to form a oneness with diversity that comes back to the source, which is God himself. And the apostle Paul makes this clear, a little clearer in Greek than in English, but this is the point. And this reality shapes this concept for us of our strategy to mobilize every member. Now there's a lot of strategies out there today. I know one of the kind of popular ones right now is like serve day or love day. And this is when you get everybody in your church to do the same thing on the same day. And you put on the t-shirt and you make kind of a public spectacle in front of a supermarket or a target store. And the newspaper comes out and you take a picture and you do some good thing for the community. And it gets a lot of publicity. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's this little strategy to go, Hey, we're the church and we're doing it. And I'm not against ever doing something like that. It's not bad. But if that's your strategy one day, Out of 365 days, one? That's it? That's not going to get very much done. That's going to take a long time to get some things done. But if you see things the way that God has designed them, then everywhere there is a spirit-empowered follower of Jesus. There is a gift resident and a gift available and a connection relationally. And there can be an explosion, an exponential transformation as the good news about Jesus is carried by spirit-empowered witnesses. And so we're trying to purposely build a community of people who know what it means to be the church, to value one another as members of it, and to learn how to speak what God is doing on the inside of us and through us and around us to where he gets the glory and other people are drawn into the family of God through faith in Jesus. Do you see this? And so I want to talk about this a little bit this morning, but I've gotten ahead of myself. And so let me stop and pray because we need the Holy Spirit to do his work in us. Amen? God, uh, our, our words, my words are meaningless and powerless apart from your Holy Spirit. But God, we thank you for your word that has been read in our hearing. Thank you that it is alive and active and sharp, able to divide to soul and spirit. God, as we turn our attention to your word, I pray that it would do its work in each of us. Not just that we would understand what it means, but that it would change our minds and our self-perception that would give us eyes to see the world in a new way and that we would encounter you, Holy Spirit, in a transforming way that causes us to be mobilized, perhaps like never before. Would you come and do this for us, please? We're hungry. Cultivate the soil of our hearts that we would have good soil to receive the seed of your word, that it would take root and that bear fruit in our lives. Come and do it now, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. I was thinking about this, this idea of mobilizing every member. And I don't know if you've ever done this before, but have you ever like um, sat on the ground for too long uh, and your feet fall asleep? And um, I don't know if this happened to you. I'm a pretty clumsy person as it is, but I remember um, hanging out with a group of friends when I was in youth group, which when you're in youth group, you're pretty much trying to impress everyone all the time. Everything is an opportunity for you to like look cool or be cool or accepted and everybody's nervous and all awkward, you know, in your middle school. And I remember this distinct memory where we were all sitting in a little circle and, and I was kind of like sitting sideways on my own feet. And then we we're going to play this game and, and the youth was like, all right, everybody, let's get up. And, and we all jumped to our feet and I didn't realize that both of my feet were just 
just asleep. And so I like stood up and then like, like collapsed down in front of everybody as I walked on my stumps. It was like, I was like terrified and embarrassment and everybody's laughing. It was just as bad as I thought it would be. And, uh, but, but it reminds me of, of uh, how much trouble we get into um, when we start to lose circulation in our body parts. And for too much of my Christian experience and my connection with the church, there's been too many parts of the body of Christ that are asleep. Not enough blood flowing to give life. And it restricts our mobility. It slows us down, makes us look like an idiot sometimes. And ultimately it keeps us from fulfilling the mission of God. And so as we consider what it means to be the church, to be a part of what God is doing in the world through Jesus. That is the biggest story, the biggest picture. You can turn off the news. uh, You can stop scrolling the news feed. Nothing you're going to hear is going to clue you into what's really going on in the world any more than cracking this book open every day and having a conversation with the rightful ruler of the universe. Can I get amen? And so he's got us here on purpose and for a purpose, and we don't want to miss what that is. And so our strategy as a church to accomplish the calling of the church not just to evangelize, not just to tell good news to lost people, but to function as the people of God in the world that he owns and to put on display his nature and character requires that we be mobilized. And so in order to do this, uh, we need to consider three components that are happening in 1 Corinthians 12. There's lots more, but I want to draw your attention to three. And there's three words that I want to give you. And the first one of them is work. Somebody say work. Work, work. Uh, You know you were made to work. I know, I know we're, uh, here we are in Central Florida. This has been a big year for a lot of people. And I've met a lot of people who uh, work their whole lives and they finally retired. They're like, this whole COVID thing, you know what? Forget it. I'm getting out of hell while I'm ahead. More people have moved to Florida in the last year than I think in like the, the previous five years combined. There's a lot of retirement going on and I'm not against retirement. Trust me, I'm planning on it. But I am saying that God didn't make us to work for a little while, make some money and then retire and do nothing. Do you know that? You see, God put us on this planet to work. He made us to work. Work is not an effect of the fall. Work has been affected by the fall, but work is not, it's not God's plan for everybody to be sitting on a beach with a mojito. Do you know that? That's not God's plan. Some of you are like, it sounds pretty nice right now. I woke up this morning and it was 30 degrees outside. And if you're a Floridian, that means you should stay home. That's what it means. <laughs> I'm surprised any of you are here at all. I thought the online audience was gonna skyrocket today. You're like, ah, it's too cold. Not gonna do it. But here we are. Uh, Look back to Genesis chapter one. This is where it all gets started. Most of what you need to understand about the way the world works has its roots and and seed form in Genesis. But this is the creation narrative and the crowning creation. God makes the planets. He forms and fills everything. He gets it just right so that he can create mankind in his image and dwell with us on the earth. This is what the whole story is about. And so we get to the creation of man and woman and look what it says, verse 26 of chapter one. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's the Hebraic way of saying everything. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them upon mankind is the unique blessing of God and said to them with this blessing, this rich blessing from God through a right relationship, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves 
on the earth. And so from the beginning, God's plan was to create a people for himself who would make more people that we would all take over the earth, subdue it to harness its natural resources, and then cultivate it and exercise dominion, creating good and blessed societies and interrelating with each other to make the world the best place that it can be. Now, this is the original plan of God in Genesis. And so this is a lot different than the kind of ideology that's permeating the world right now, which I call David Attenborough theology. I don't know if any of you guys watch David Attenborough. He's like my favorite naturalist. He's like 90-something years old now. He's got this British voice. He's been a naturalist um, for, I mean, since like the 50s. And he does these documentaries, and I love his documentaries. It's insightful and just really poetic, and he just draws the beauty of nature. But underlying all of these documentaries is this idea that kind of like humans are the scourge of the planet, that everything would be beautiful and amazing and wonderful if we just weren't here, that we ruin everything, and that every bad thing that happens on the planet is because of how terrible we are. The idea here is the earth is this beautiful thing that naturally exists, and humans are like the cancer of it. And you'd be surprised how much of what's out there in the world kind of has this ideology behind it, to be like, you know, kind of work is bad, production is bad, industry is bad, we're ruining the climate, we're destroying the planet. Now, as Christians, we actually ought to be the ones who are out there saying, it's on us to take care of the planet. God left us here to take care of it. And if we're not taking care of it, we ought to change our ways. Can I get amen? But that's because God put us in charge of it, not because we are the problem and everything will be better if all the humans were dead. But who would be around to enjoy it? No more documentaries. I mean, I don't see deer making documentaries. I'm just saying. And so we got to change our worldview. And part of that change comes as we recognize that we are called not just to, as a part of the church, evangelize, which is sometimes the mission of the church just becomes learn how to share your faith, make more disciples, get people to come to church, see them pray a prayer, be baptized, make the church grow as though that is the, the ideal. The ideal is that we be the people God made us to be doing what God made us to do on the earth and demonstrating the nature and character of God through the way we do our work. And so we got to learn that this is bigger. And, I, and I, I make this point because it's easy for us to do this thing where we create in our minds categories of the secular and the sacred. And somehow it's only the things that you do inside the walls of the church and for the church organization that actually has value to it. And that other stuff you do during the week is just that thing you hate to do to make enough money to care for your children and eventually retire. And by the way, Port Orange is a great place to retire. I know some of you are watching from Pennsylvania right now, Missouri, Montana, California. It's, it's not that bad here. We have no snow, no ice scrapers, no snow shovels. But, 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 but we're made to work. And everything that God put, every situation God puts you in is, is a position for you to be able to get things done with him and for him. And so we've got we've to lose this secular and sacred dichotomy. And we have to recognize that everything that is happening on the planet can be done for God. Notice, um, this is Colossians chapter three, um, verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Do you see that Whatever. That's a big whatever. Now, I do want to caveat. Two weeks ago, you remember this Venn diagram that I showed you? We were talking about purpose, identity, purpose, relationship. And I was describing to you about these categories. There's the things you love, things you're great at, things you can get paid for, and the things the world needs. And if you can converge all four of those, in the middle of that Venn diagram is your purpose. This is a really great thing to try to move. And I, and I mentioned that a lot of people end up getting about three of those circles to overlap. 
And sometimes your work's just hanging out there all by itself. And, um, and so this is important that the things that we do, and there's people in this room who are emergency medical technicians. There's people who are in IT. There's people who are in child education. There's people who work for municipalities. There's people um, who are retired now, but you're serving in your homeowners association or through nonprofit organizations. There's so much work that's being done represented by the people who are sitting in this room, watching online, a part of the Christchurch family. And that work has purpose and meaning and value and is meant to put on display the nature and character of God. Do you know that? Now it says whatever, and that's almost entirely true. I was thinking about this, this Venn diagram. What if you really love your job and you're great at it and you get paid really well, but you're a drug dealer? <laughs> Just saying, you're like, I am, I am balling right now. I am like making it rain. I am loving my life, and I, but I do sell drugs. So there is that. You see how this doesn't quite... So there are some things that you ought not to be doing vocationally. Can I get amen? But, but for the most part, you may think of what you do as unimportant not fitting into what God is doing. You may be part of a startup and it's feeding a niche market. I don't know what you're doing. I don't, I don't know what everybody's doing, but I do know that whatever you do, if it's done as to the Lord, it provides a context and an opportunity for you to put on display the nature and character of God and the transformation that he brings to you and the way you do your work. Notice that Colossians 3 is actually being addressed to slaves. You thought your job was bad. It says bond servants or slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, we used to do this on the construction crew. We'd, um, we'd all be working, and when the boss was there, we're huffing it, you know? <sighs> boss is watching, and then he pulls off, and you're like, okay. <laughs> and you stand around, do a little work, stand around. And then the boss, we'd hear his rickety old truck, fire in the hole, we'd yell, fire in the hole. Boss come back, look busy. Oh, yeah, we've been huffing it. No. Saying, don't do that. Don't, don't do it just enough to get noticed. Don't do it for the wrong reasons. He's saying, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So listen, not everything's fair out there. You're not gonna be treated properly, valued rightly, but if you're working for the Lord, your reward will come to you and God sorts out all the difference. Do you know that? And so when we understand mobilizing every member, I want you to know that this includes every moment of your day. The moments you spend in the word, the moments you spend with your wife, your husband, your children, your grandchildren, the time you spend on social media, the things you do at your work, how you live your life, the conversations you have, the quality of the workmanship you put in, and the way that you go to small groups and engage with people in Bible study and come to church and worship, all the things you're trying to do, all of that is part of how God wants you to mobilize. And he wants that to happen for every single one of us. Now, if you've been in church any length of time, you're familiar with what's called the 80-20 rule. How many of you guys have heard of this before? The 80-20 rule, it's pretty self-explanatory. The 80-20 rule is that of all the people, 20% of the people do all the work and 80% of them are dead weight. So maybe you've been in a church like that before where you're just huffing and huffing and huffing and then people come in and they smile and they go out and they do nothing. And what happens is eventually that 20% burns out and so then the work of the church leadership is only to grab a new 20% out of that 80%. And that's your job is to find new people to replace the old people as they burn out and spill out and peel out. And so the 80-20 rule, and this happens everywhere. Most nonprofits, lots of companies, but it happens in the church too. But that is not the way it's supposed to be because we are seeking to mobilize every member. We are all supposed to be doing work that God specifically created, crafted, and called us to do. And so we are seeking to not have an 80-20 church or a 90-10 church, or some of you look like you may have come from a 99-1 church and it was only 100 people. You, you look like you may have just peeled out of there. 
We, we want to stave off burnout for everybody, every single person. And what I'm convinced of is if you are doing the thing God called you to do, then it will never feel like work. You hear people say that before. If you really love your job, you never work a day in your life. It's the same thing for Christian ministry. If you're doing what God made you to do, it doesn't wear you out. But if you're doing all the work that everybody else is supposed to be doing while you're dragging their heavy body around, you know, Julian, my son, he's five years old and he's always doing this thing. Pick me up, dad, pick me up, dad. He's 55 pounds. I'm like, dude, I just can't do it. I'm like, dude, you're a sack of potatoes. I'm not gonna stand here and hold you. I'm not a sack of potatoes. No, you're not, but you're heavy like one. But he'll, I pick him up and he just goes full dead weight on me. I'm like, dude, come on, use your legs. And we don't wanna do that. Now, the downside is we are actually trying to create dead weight at Christ Church. Put the cat out of the bag. Part of our strategy is to be a place that is generous to those who are here for the first time, those who are making any movement towards God, those people that we are, we are reaching out to and inviting to church over and over and over and over again. Come to church with me, come to church with me, come to church with me. Okay, I'll fine, I'll go with you. Not this week, but soon. And then seven weeks later, you're like, are you gonna go with me? I'll go, finally, I'll go. Some of you here today, you're like, yep, that's me. This is my, filling my obligation. <laughs> we wanna make sure that, that our services are filled with people just like that, who we aren't asking anything from. We are only offering the good news of Jesus to the good news of empowering transformation of the Holy Spirit, purpose and meaning in life. This is something that God wants to give to you. We, that's part of our, our message is a gift. This is the reason why we don't use baskets and buckets and take money and do an offering, take an offering. Why? Because we, we're all committed to giving privately and we do that. We send checks in the mail, we use Stripe online, text to give, drop checks in the back. And we can do that without anybody talking about it because we're trying to send a message to our guests that we're not here to take something from you, we're here to give something to you. Not only that, but we're trying to be a church where people can come, the, the freshly burned out. I love when I see the D church come back. I can see it on your face. I see them in the lobby. They're like, I can't believe we're doing this. <laughs> Knew this was a bad idea. They're going to ask me to serve. And so whenever I get people that come in and they just had a bad experience, I'm like, we want to create space for people to like decompress, find, find some refreshment, get, get healed up, Take as much time as you need, by the way. This is not, there's no pressure. It's not time sensitive. But God didn't make you just to sit back, you know? He didn't make you to burn out either, but he didn't make you to sit back. And so I watch people, I watch them. And, and inevitably they'll come up to me and I, I can see, I can see the kind of people that they are. When they're, they, were, they were huffing it at the last church. They were part of that 20 or 10 or maybe one. And they were saying, now they're like, I feel like I, feel like I need to get back in the game. And sometimes you'll even hear me say, I'm not sure you are. Maybe take six more weeks and think about it, you know? So we want to always be a church that's growing with some dead weight. So that, that is not something we're trying to stop. I'm not trying to get everyone working all the time. That would be miserable. But I am trying to say, if you're here and you are a member of the body of Christ and you call Christ Church home, you want to be a part of what we're doing here, then there is work for you to do. And there is work that only you can do, which brings us to the next word. And that is oneness. Somebody say oneness. Oneness. So we got work and we got oneness. 1 Corinthians 12 continues in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So we're talking about the church, but we're talking about Jesus. For in one spirit, we were all made, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Here's another key verse, 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. But we got to keep that oneness in front of us because we do this weird thing and this happens in our culture and then it pervades the church. Where we, get, we get fascinated by showy gifts. 
I mean, some people are just, I mean, you guys are watching the Olympics. I'm not watching the Olympics. I, I forsook television. Um, but I don't know if you're watching sports or the Olympics or, or movies or celebrities, or I don't know what people are into these days. I'm, I have my head's in the sand. But I do know that people get fixated on particular gifts, skill sets, appearances, abilities, and we celebrate those things. And then we create this class of people who are kind of superstars. And then there's the regular folk. And we do the same thing in the church. And the phrase we use is, gifted. You're gifted. People tell me that all the time. I just, I love the way you preach. You're, you're so gifted. And I want to be like, so are you. We're all gifted, every single one of us. And we're all part of each other. And we all need each other to fulfill the purpose of the church. And I am just one of those things. And by using this idea of gifted, we subtly create this new category of people called ungifted. Really? You get the platform people and then the seat people, you know? the gifted and the ungifted. But what happens when you start to create these dichotomies is you destroy your oneness because you have real ministry people, real people who can get things done, real people who are authorized to do the work, who have the abilities and the gifts and the skill set, And then you have those regular people. Do you know what I'm saying? And so you think about your place in the body of Christ is not very important. And that could not be further from the truth. Do you guys know that there's a part of your brain called the hypothalamus? Hypothalamus, really important little booger. Do you know what the word hypothalamus, the name comes from? Under the thalamus. That's where it comes from. Whoever was naming body parts early on did not take a lot of time to think about what this thing did or what we should call it because they're just like digging around and like, uh, we're going to call this the thalamus. And uh, what about this little doohickey under the thalamus? Hypothalamus? I mean, I don't know. Not very creative. But do you know that your hypothalamus is responsible for regulating your body temperature? the reason you can feel that you're hungry, attachment behaviors, thirst, fatigue, sleep, is all the things when you have children. You're like, oh, that hypothalamus is working. I am tired and thirsty and hungry and haven't slept in eight years. And I can feel it because of my hypothalamus. Very important. And yet, it has no name. It's not honored with a name. And I think about that, a lot of people, what do you, uh, I'm, you go to Christchurch? Oh yeah, what do you do over there? I sit in the center section, fourth row, third seat, and from the left. That's, I take my, my job title is the seat that I have. And then eventually you get so attached to that seat, you walk into a service and someone's in it. You're like, what are you doing? Never been here before, huh? She didn't, what, I'm seven minutes late and you're just gonna take my seat? And you're sitting in another part of the auditorium like, this feels weird. I don't know how to sit over here, you know? And it happens, why does this happen? because we don't understand what, how our gift is supposed to function. You see, this little interaction we're having is a really, really small part of what the church is meant to do. So I'm, I'm, here, to, I'm here to preach God's word to you. I'm here to get you focused. I'm here to get you strengthened, to feed you, to get you pushed in the right direction. And, 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 and then we're all meant to go mobilize. This isn't the majority part of what I spend my life doing, and this should not be the majority part of what you spend your life doing. And if we let this interaction characterize who the gifted and the ungifted are, then we're immediately subject to losing our oneness. You know, Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. You know, we, we call the Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and we all kind of memorize it. But you know, there really is a real Lord's Prayer. There's a prayer that he prayed. It's a whole chapter of John's gospel. And in that chapter, he prays again and again and again that his people would be one. 
that they would experience the connection with him that he and the father share and that in that they, we would be one with one another. That was what he was preoccupied with as he looked to the future and to his own death on the cross was that his people would have a oneness and that oneness would come when we become interdependent, complementarian, and we value each other as indispensable. And that's how we as Christians ought to see each other. We ought not to have these pecking orders of preferred gifts and call the gifted and the ungifted. Instead, we have to recognize that all of us are essential components to the work of God and then come alongside each other to say, this is where you're gifted. This is, where you're, this is your sweet spot. This is where you're making an impact, encouraging one another and, and more and more and more building each other into one another. And instead, we're doing the best we can just to play whack-a-mole with all the church killers that creep in. I got a whole series I wrote called Church Killers, a very, very uplifting series. <laughs> there's a reason I haven't preached it yet. But I was just thinking as I read through the New Testament, all of these like insidious, cancerous things that go on in the church that we tolerate that literally destroy everything. Gossip comes to mind. Gossip comes to mind. How quick are we to talk bad about somebody? Ooh, did you hear? And we have this like insatiable appetite to desire to know things that are none of our business. Where did that come from? And so you're, I wasn't, I wasn't going to bring it up. And I didn't want to talk about it. They, they brought it up. Tell me more. What is going on with us in gossip? But what happens is as soon as we listen to a bad report about somebody, it negatively impacts our relationship and that oneness gets fractured. And then the more we spread that, the more broken. And then you're looking at people and, oh, I'm not going to talk to that person. It just separates people. Do you understand? This is one of the things that God hates and it will destroy a church. But I can guarantee you, if you are in an environment where everyone looks at you and they go, you are a valuable asset. I could not do what God's called me to do without you. Your contribution is making this whole thing get done. I'm so grateful that God made people like you because people like me can't do the things that God made you to do. You are not gonna be quick to listen to a bad report about that person. That's your friend. That's your partner. And so this is what God wants to do. He wants to keep us one. He wants to get us working and he wants to make us one. Paul elaborates on ways that this can happen, and he uses these illustrations of body parts talking to each other. I won't read it. You guys are probably familiar with it, and you can read it for yourself, but the first way is undervaluing people, which I kind of already alluded to. We undervalue people by sometimes even ourselves having this, I don't matter, like because I'm not the preacher, I'm not a worship leader, like I, it doesn't matter. And that couldn't be further from the truth. We need everybody in the game. We'll never be the church God's called us to be until everybody's in the game. And that's not just me. I'm telling you, this morning I woke up, it was freezing. Like literally, it was like 32 degrees. It was freezing. It was literally freezing. I made a little box with a towel in it for the cat. I was like, you sleep in there, pal. Don't freeze on me. You know, it's literally going to freeze. I wake up, I make my coffee. I sit down and I'm like, how cold is it? I open my phone and it says, literally, this is what it says, 32 degrees, snow flurries on my app. And I look outside and I look up and there's this tiny little cloud and it's just dropping little flurries. And they're just, I don't even know where they're going. They didn't hit the ground. There was no snow or anything. It was literally freezing. And I did my, finished my little sermon prep, made my little slides. And I went in, wake up Tiffany. And I, I looked at her and I was like, you know what, babe, it's freezing out there. Let's just catch the live stream. <laughs> and you laugh because you're like, you can't do that. Even though I wanted to. But how, but how many of us, what, what difference will it make if I'm not there, if I'm not a part, if I don't join a team, if I don't contribute? And it's not just about in here. Like we're trying to get some stuff done in here. We want people on the teams. We want the right people on the right teams, the right periods of time for sure. But this is just a small fraction of what the church of Jesus is meant to be engaging with. Do you know it? 
And so we've got to be a people who work hard, who are one with each other, who don't let those cancerous infusions of evil break us apart, who come alongside to encourage, support, strengthen, uplift, forbear, keep this thing together, be one, be on each other's teams, and value the ways that each of us are different. And so no more I don't matter, and definitely no more you don't matter. Maybe you've been in an environment where that you don't matter uh, was coming from the top down, and I've been in that, I've seen that. There's a toxic leadership. I... That, that happens when, when people who are insecure end up in positions of influence and they just want to make people feel like they're unimportant so that they can feel like they are important. That's disgusting. But it also happens in churches all the time where people get these little cliques of groups of people that go, I am basically indispensable around here. And you know what? No, you're not. No, you're not. No one is. None of us are. God can shuffle the deck God can move the chess pieces around. He's the one who's driving this ship and all we are are as useful to him as we are willing to be humble before him and kind to one another. Do you know that? You're not the best. You are essential. And I love these uh, memes. I kept these because they help me stay humble. Um, these are a couple that stick out to me. This first one is, um, if you're listening to audio only, it's a picture of an ax with a metal handle and a wooden blade. And it says, uh, just because you're unique doesn't mean you're useful. We have this like snowflake generation of people that are like fixated on the fact that they're unique, which is true. You are unique. But if you're not doing anything with that, that does not make you useful. Do you understand this? And so let's not just celebrate how special you are because nobody can use that, right? And then more importantly, I like this one too. This one just is like a little punchy. This is one of those demotivational posters and it shows cogs and wheels and it has the big word worth underneath. And it says... um, Just because you're necessary doesn't mean you're important. And this is the humility that every person in the Christian church should have, starting with me. Yes, I'm necessary. For us to have a sermon and a service, I can't stay home. I can't live stream. I'm necessary, but I am not important. There's there's probably five people in this room right now that could do what I'm doing. And, and, And if God was to take me home on the way home from church, knock on wood, next week there'd be somebody in this pulpit. Do you know that? Because God wants all of us in the game, but none of us are important. The only important one, he, he did die and he's ascended and he's running the ship from a throne in heaven and he sent his spirit into every one of us and he, he can give gifts and he can get this whole thing going. And so he wants us to be mobilized. Okay. <sighs> Lastly, work, oneness, witness. Somebody say witness. Witness, witness. Um, you ever have that terrifying experience where some super empowered person who's an evangelist comes to you and says, hey, why don't you come out witnessing with me? You ever had that happen to you? We're gonna go down to the band shell. We're gonna go out to the mall and we're gonna witness. Who wants to witness? No, nobody says that to you? They're like, I don't keep friends like that. No? <laughs> it's a funny exchange and some people are really like, literally spirit-empowered to, to evangelize. I mean, that's a, a, one of the gifts, one of the fourfold or fivefold ministries is the evangelist. And so God, thank God that he makes some people who are, who are wired to do this all the time, but all of us are called to do the work of an evangelist and all of us are called to actually share our faith. But it's funny that we turn the word witness into a verb to talk about telling something we saw when in fact that's reporting, isn't it? We don't go witnessing. We don't witness as a verb. To witness is to watch something happen. Do you realize this? We do these weird things with words where they stop meaning the things that they used to mean and we turn them into something they don't mean at all, maybe the exact opposite. See, witnesses ought to give testimony or report what they have seen. My question for you is, why are you here and what have you seen? You see, the apostles could only be apostles because they saw the risen Jesus. This is one of the qualifications in Acts chapter two. 
Who's an apostle? Someone who saw the risen Jesus, who is a witness of his resurrection and ascension. No, you didn't see, you know, you were around for Jesus part, but you didn't see him resurrected. Can't be an apostle because you have to be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And then those apostles went and preached the good news about Jesus, about the kingdom of heaven and, and Jews and Gentiles were converted and the Holy Spirit fell on them and miraculous signs accompanied them everywhere they went. And then people were witness to the movement of God through the apostles. Do you know that? And they heard that Jesus had lived and died and raised and ascended and they believed it and they experienced the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit that made it real in their hearts, but they never saw him. And so what did they become a witness of? Well, they become a witness of the transformation that took place in their hearts. And for the last 2000 years, subsequent generations of human beings have become witnesses, not of the resurrected physical body of Jesus, but of the transformation that he has brought in here. Do you know that when you quote unquote witness, all you're doing is reporting the reality of what the power of God has done on the inside of you? Think about this for a second. It's not that complicated. Sometimes we get this idea that witnessing or evangelizing is where we have to like be able to know all the facts of the gospel and the story and all the scriptures to, to back them up and then all the common objections and you have to be able to get out all those and come against those and do apologetics for everybody and have these conversations with people. No, you know what the best picture of a witness is in the Bible? I was blind and now I see. Do you understand? I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. What I do know is I can see now. And this is what God's calling you into. Do you have an experience with God where you can say, I used to be thus, and now I am this. I was heading in this direction and God saved me from a road that leads to death and set me on a road that leads to life. I used to be beset by these feelings and emotions and destructive behaviors. And now I am been raised to new life to walk in a new way. And I have power from the Holy Spirit to be different. I am here to testify to what this Jesus has done for me. Do you understand? And so as you walk and grow in your relationship with God and you work with him and you remain one with the body he's put you in, valuing other people and being an essential contributing part, all you're doing is going, you're not gonna believe what I've seen. Do you understand? Do you do this sometimes too? People are like, you gotta come to church. You gotta see this. You gotta experience this for yourself. What is that? It's witness, witness. Or how about, no, I can, I know exactly where you're at. I see you heading on a road that ends in destruction and I'm pleading with you, stop. And let me tell you why, because I was heading on that same road, but I was stopped. God got my attention and I never thought I could be different. And I never thought that I could be free, but God, do you understand? This is what God is calling us to be witnesses. We are meant to not only work. We are not to only be one body working together, but we are called to give witness to what God has done. Acts 1.8 but you will receive power. How are you gonna do it? If you feel powerless when someone's calling you to witness, how are you gonna do it? You don't have to have the power. God provides the power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know where we are geographically compared to where Jesus was when he said these things? The end of the earth. Do you see that God got done what he wanted to get done? And now in your life, he has a Jerusalem and a Judea and a Samaria and the ends of the earth. And will you let him send you out to bear witness to what he is doing? You see, Jesus ought to be and should be radically transforming you. This is, this is my experience. I, I can tell you right now, I, have, I grew up in church. I learned a lot of things about the Bible. 
I got the, I got the, the, the five-year-old version of, uh, of, of uh, do you want to be a Christian? It sounded like this. Um, uh, about, you're about to go to sleep. Do you want to um, go to heaven when you die with mommy and daddy? Or do you want to burn in hell forever? <laughs> like that's not a hard sell when you're five and about to go to sleep. It really isn't. Jesus, I, I follow Jesus, right? you know? And you grow up terrified and terrorized. And I, and I can remember by 12 going, all right, God, I believe you're real and I'm trying to follow after you and I want to, I want to live with you forever and I want to be a part of this whole thing. But I'm finding that I have these impulses and desires to do the very thing I know to be wrong and the things that I know to be right, I, I can't do those things. And I need you to do something inside of me. And that's when you say help and God goes, put you in the waters of baptism, right? You die with Christ in his death to your old way of life and you're raised to new life to walk and follow after him. And from 12 to 18, I learned more found power from the Holy Spirit. But by 18, I was a mess. didn't know what upside from down and what I wanted. And I was a, I was a whole conflagration of mixed desires and feelings and fears. And I remember about, about ready to just give up on the whole thing and being part of a weird church didn't help either, by the way. And so at 18, I said, God, I don't know where this is going, but if, the, if, if you want something from me, I need, I need to know. I need to know it's you. And he hit me, boom, so hard with his Holy Spirit and with his power and with his transformation that my life changed course. I mean, pivoted on a dime and started in a new direction. And I had the power from the Holy Spirit to live different and to go in a different course. And let me tell you, I was still a disaster back then. I mean, a walking mess. I knew the right things, felt God's presence and, and had power. But you know what? He does a transformation. And I'm not the same as I was five years ago, praise the Lord. And I'm definitely not the same as I was 20 years ago, but I'm not even the same now as I will be in 20 years from now. But I'm, I'm here to give witness to the fact that that's not in me because I'm strong and smart and figure things out and do better. That's because I have a God who is faithful and he doesn't ever leave me or forsake me. And that's my story. And I can't talk to you about my life without you hearing about my Jesus. Do you know that? And this is what it means for us to witness. And so we work and we're one and we get witness. And so we want to mobilize every member. And this is why this is so important as we seek to fulfill our role as a church. The team's going to come up and I just want to close with this picture. Um, you guys know what a bucket brigade is, yes? Bucket brigade. So maybe you've been a part of a bucket brigade, maybe you've not. You remember in 2008, we had the, the earthquakes in Haiti and there was all this disaster. And there was a picture that came out during that period of time. I think I, I, think I have it up here. And there, was, there was 170 people in this particular area who were trapped under rubble. And so these workers, um, firefighters and EMTs, and also just a lot of volunteers, they started trying to dig these people out. We're talking tons and tons of, of con crushed concrete and people were trapped. And so what they did was they just started breaking apart this concrete little bits at a time and filling buckets and created a bucket brigade. And in a matter of hours and then days, they were able to move hundreds of tons of concrete and rescue many of the people who were trapped. Now, the way a bucket brigade works, if you want to um, check out Wikipedia, which is one of the few things Wikipedia is helpful for, it talks about the bucket brigade this way. This method is applicable only if the number of participants is sufficient compared to the distance to cross. Do you get this? The only way it works is if you have enough people to get that debris off the pile and out to where it's away from people who are in danger. And so if you take half the bucket brigade out, you go, from, you go from standing here with the bucket, right? Like the guy at Aldi. This, more, more, more. I was shopping there the other day. I said, don't you wish they had like, you know, aisles that turned around so you could at least work out on both sides, you know? He's like, no, it messes with my mind. So you're moving your bucket. 
And you may feel like that's your work. You may feel like that's your kind of Christian life. Like, yeah, it's real. And I'm studying my Bible and I'm learning, growing my relationships. And, you know, it's just kind of like mundane and I'm just moving the bucket, moving the bucket. How important is that? Not very important. You take half of those people out and now you're grabbing a bucket, bringing a bucket and grabbing a bucket and bringing a bucket. That's that 80, 20 church I talked about, right? And then you take half more of those people out and then you're grabbing a bucket and you're running and you're dropping it and you're going back for another one. And before too long, the whole thing shuts down because there's not enough people. But listen, God made a church where everybody's meant to engage. And if he'll get everybody doing the work that he's called each of us to do, then the whole thing will get done as we value one another and keep this oneness that's so important to Jesus. And so we do our work and we do our work as one and we give witness to what God is doing. And I love that the acronym for these three words spells WOW. Because if you can have a church that's doing this, wow, imagine what we can get done. Imagine the difference to the lives of the people. You know, you may not think you're very important, but I guarantee you, if you're number 117 in a bucket brigade moving concrete all day and you don't feel like you're a big deal, the people who are trapped in that building sure do feel like you're a big deal. And this is who God has called us to reach. Do we see the world the way God does? That he's called us into essentially a rescue mission where every single person counts and each of us are meant to do our part. And so I'm inviting you in the same way that our mission is to, in concentric circles, move out from very close to near to different, but near to far away, that you consider as you think about your partnership at Christ Church, that you move from that dead weight, I'm new or I'm recovering, I'm in church recovery, to I'm a regular attender, to I'm gonna be a part of a team and I'm gonna make a difference and contribute to I've done this for a while and I'm ready to take responsibility to lead or oversee ministry, maybe new ministry, and all the way up to maybe even someday you'll be on staff here, maybe you'll be a part of the board of directors. I mean, depending on your level of commitment to the mission of Christ Church, um, all of us are called to get in the game and move up into those concentric circles of commitment. And that's what it looks like for us to become the members that Jesus says we are. One of the reasons we don't do quote unquote membership is because we're not making members, brothers and sisters. We're just recognizing what God has made, and that is members of the body of Christ. Amen. And so I want you to be on a journey of recognizing who you are, who God's made you to be, what your work is. We want to grow in making sure that we are maintaining the unity of the Spirit and our oneness together, and that we're learning how to give witness to the power of God in our lives, in every conversation, in the church and outside of the church. Amen. And so what we want to do is to simply make ourselves available to God to receive the gift of his Holy Spirit, which is what empowers these gifts in all of us. And when we are willing to do that, I guarantee you he will do his part. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for each person present in my hearing in this room online, listening at any time in any space, who's receiving these words with faith. God, I pray that you would inspire the way we view our work. God, that you would strengthen us as we learn to value the oneness and diversity of the body of Christ, that we would see our, ourselves and each other as indispensable to the mission, replaceable, but indispensable. And God, I pray that we would learn how to give witness to your power at work in our lives so that you get the glory. And so hope is communicated to a lost and dying world. And this rescue mission is fulfilled in the life of the church. God, we love you. We want to make ourselves available to you now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond.